Christopher. And he went throughout his life with very little interaction with Christians. Then for some reason, he finds himself attending a Christian church service. Uh, Clearly, many things would be foreign to him. But imagine him being curious about this strange word, Amen. He notices that after the prayer of confession, uh, the person leading said, Amen. He noticed that after the congregation recited the Apostles' Creed, they said, Amen. After they said the Lord's Prayer, they said, Amen. After the pastoral prayer, the pastor said, Amen. And then when the congregation said the do- sang the doxology, they not only said amen once, but they sang it twice. And then in the scripture reading from 2 Peter 3, 18, it once again ended with this word amen. And the pastor prayed again, and once again he ended that prayer by saying amen. Perhaps by the time the service was over, he heard the word amen about ten times. So he's thinking to himself, this word must be significant, this word, amen. I wonder what this word is all about. And since he was educated as a journalist, he decides to apply the six journalist questions. Maybe you're familiar with them. Who, what, where, when, why, how. They're also known as the five W's and the one H. So if you're a journalist, let's say you have to cover a story on a school shooting, for example, um, you want to cover all the details, and doing so, you want to answer all these questions to get to the facts. So what I would like us to do this morning is take a beginner's look at this word, amen. Let's pretend like we don't know anything about the word, amen. You heard it this morning for the very first time, and we want to investigate this word amen by applying these six questions and there will be overlap but um, let's look at this word amen so first of all what does the word amen mean it has more than uh, one definition but first of all we should recognize that it's a hebrew word and it comes into greek as a transliteration so it's not translated Just a transliteration, so if you were to read the Hebrew, it would be amen. You read the Greek, it's amen. And then it comes into English, Spanish, German, Swahili, what what have you, and they all say it the same way, amen, or amen, or with a slightly different accent, but it's it's the same because it's a transliteration. But what does it mean? Again, there's a number of definitions. First of all, it means so be it. God gives us a promise, and we respond, amen. In other words, so be it. Another definition of this word, amen, is that it means reliable, faithful, truthful. One of the first places where we see this word, amen, is in Deuteronomy 27. Moses is preparing the people to go into the promised land, and we're told that he sets before the people life, and death, blessings, and curses. And this is what we read in Deuteronomy 27, beginning at verse 15. And this is in the section on the curses. Cursed be the man who makes a carved or cast metal image, an abomination to the Lord, 
a thing made by the hands of a craftsman, and sets it up in secret. And all the people shall answer and say, Amen. Verse 16. Cursed be anyone who dishonors his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Verse 17. Cursed be anyone who moves his neighbor's landmark, and all the people shall say, Amen. Amen. That's just three verses. But from 15 to 26, we have similar statements, and we have a total of 12 Amens. In this context, it means, so be it, because God is reliable, and he will do what he has promised. And also notice that in this context, it comes with God saying he will curse his people if they are disobedient to his law that he has given them, which is a reminder that God's people should only say amen with seriousness and sobriety. We'll see a number of meanings as we continue on, but let's ask our second question. Where do we see or hear amen? Uh, One answer is after declarations about God's greatness or glory as a way to praise him and affirm the truth that we have heard. Here's one example, Psalm 126. Here's how it ends in verse 48. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Praise the Lord. Uh, This psalm began by calling upon the people to praise God. It began by saying, give thanks to the Lord and praise him who is from everlasting to everlasting. And then the psalmist goes through and he gives this long litany of just how great God is. And then it ends by saying, let all the people say amen, which means so be it. God is faithful. Yet God, let God be praised for the great God that he is. Now, Also notice that as in Deuteronomy 27, that the people are instructed to say amen. Which means they didn't know they should say amen. But different leaders are saying, after you hear the curses, all the people are to say amen. And then the psalmist says, and the people are to answer to the greatness of God and his glory and how he works with his people among the nations by saying amen. Which means, basically, that in this psalm, the psalmist is teaching his people the proper way to worship. So, very simply, it is appropriate to worship God by saying, Amen. Very simple and very straightforward. Why do God's people say, Amen? This is the third point. First of all, let's consider... um, how Jesus said amen, and Jesus used this word amen in a unique way that was different from anybody else. Um, this is what we read in John 3, 3. Jesus answered him, talking about Nicodemus, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now here, the Greek word amen is translated. Sometimes it's translated, sometimes it's not translated. 
just, you know, I'm kind of a purist. Um, I would really prefer that you just leave it amen everywhere it shows up. So let me read this verse to you again from uh, the Christensen authorized version. I just, I just made that up. Jesus answered him, amen, amen. I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Instead of saying amen at the end, affirming the truth, Jesus says it at the beginning and 25 times in the Gospel of John. He not only says it once, but he says it twice. When Jesus says, hey, amen, amen, you know what that means? You need to listen up because what I'm about to tell you is true. And not only is it true, but it is very important. And I think you can see the importance of it right here. Unless one is born again, he will not even see the kingdom of God. So Jesus would begin his statements by saying, Amen, Amen. He would say ahead of time, What I'm about to tell you is true. What I'm about to tell you is true. It is reliable. It is faithful. You can take it to the bank. You need to listen to it. So Jesus would begin his statements by saying, Amen, Amen. Now, let's consider why we say, Amen. And again, there's, there's more than one answer here. But we say it because God is reliable and faithful, and we are acknowledging that. In 2 Corinthians 1.20, Paul says, For all the promises of God find their yes in him. Talking about Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Now, here's what I want you to know. We utter amen. We don't just silently think it in our hearts. We utter it. We say it out loud. We say amen. We, we are to respond as a people. We've already seen that a few times, and we see it again. People are to utter amen. In Christ, we see the utter reliability, and faithfulness of God since all of God's promises are fulfilled in him. Genesis 3.15, God told the serpent that a day was coming when the seed of the woman would crush his head. And Jesus came and did that on the cross. Abraham was promised that through one of his descendants, all the families of the earth would eventually be blessed. Jesus is that descendant. David was told that one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever. And Jesus is his son, who even right now is seated at the Father's right hand, ruling and reigning over the nations. In Isaiah 53, God had promised that he would send a servant who would suffer on behalf of the people. And he said that all the sins of the people would be placed upon this servant so that they could be forgiven. And then God promised through Jeremiah in chapter 31 that he would bring about a new covenant through the blood of his son. And as a result, God would take away their heart of stone, give them a heart of flesh. He said instead of the law being written externally on tablets of stone, he would take his law and he would write it upon our hearts and he would place his spirit within us. 
And all these promises and more find their yes in Christ. And God's people should respond to the fulfillment of all these promises in Christ. Amen. As a way to affirm these great truths that we have in Jesus Christ. And Paul said we should say amen to the glory of God. So last week we mentioned that everything that we do, whether we eat or drink, we are to do it all to the glory of God. And Paul tells us when you say amen, that brings glory to God. God wants to hear his people respond to his truth and his promises by uttering amen. God loves this word. Fourth question, who is the amen? That, that question might surprise you, but it's a good question. This is what we read in Revelation 3, 14 and Revelations 2 and 3. We have Jesus dictating seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor. And in Revelation 3, 14, we read, this is Jesus speaking, And to the angel or the messenger or the pastor of the church of Laodicea write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Jesus is the Amen. Jesus is the incarnation of God's reliability and faithfulness. You may recall that in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. In essence, here Jesus is saying, I am the amen. I am the reliable, faithful, and true one. Jesus is the amen. And by saying he is the amen, he is identifying with Jehovah. And the reference is to Isaiah 65, 16 where we read, he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. And once again, instead of a transliteration, we have a translation, literally in the Hebrew. It's the God of amen. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of amen. In the ESV, it's, it's truth, but if you look it up in the Hebrew, it's Amen. Our God is the God of amen. And then Jesus comes and he says that he is the amen. This means that Jehovah and Jesus are so intimately associated with truth and reliability that it's their name. Their very name is amen. Their very name is reliable. You could ask Jesus, what's, what's your name? My name is reliability. What's the name of your father? The name of my father is Faithful. It's their name because it, it's who they are. Now, I don't know what you're, you're going through this morning. I do know this. You're going through something. Um, everybody is going through trials or difficulties. Uh, maybe right now they're, they're minor. If they're minor, praise God. Um, if they're major, as we were reminded in our time of confession, keep your, keep your eyes fixed on God. But remember, you serve a faithful God. And he is faithful to all 
his promises. Like Philippians 4, 19, where Paul says, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. I don't know what your need is, but I know this. God will meet it in Christ Jesus. He will fulfill that promise. Because that's who he is. His very nature is that of faithfulness and reliability. So keep your eyes fixed upon him. He will meet your need. He will bring you through the trial. He will bring you through the valley of the shadow of death, and you will find yourself in his perfect timing coming out on the other side. You can trust him. He is the amen. And then number five, when should we say amen? We've already covered this, but we should say amen when we desire to affirm our belief in the truth that we've heard. This is what Paul said in uh, 1 Corinthians 14, 16. And it's in the context of speaking in tongues. And he said, in the congregation, you don't want to speak in a foreign language because the people can't say amen and, and agree with the truth that they've heard. If, if I was up here this morning speaking in Mandarin, would any of you be able to understand what I, I was saying? Anybody? No, there's no one in this congregation who would understand what I was saying so you wouldn't be able to respond by saying, Amen, Pastor. You would only say, I wonder what he's saying. He seems to be all excited. <laughs> he seems to like what he's saying, but I, but I don't know what he's saying. And, and Paul is saying in the congregation, don't speak in foreign tongues. People won't understand what you're saying. And he says, 1 Corinthians 14, 16, Otherwise... If you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? So you know what Paul is saying? He wants to speak in such a way so that people can say amen. We could say that the Apostle Paul wants there to be a Baptist amen in the congregation. Have you ever attended a Baptist church? More than Presbyterian churches, I've noticed that from time to time during the message, they will say, Amen. Presbyterian churches, Reformed churches, we like things done decently, in order. Uh, we're, we're a little shy about saying amen, but I really would like to turn this into the Presbyterian or the Reformed amen. Maybe we could stop being known as the frozen chosen. Maybe, maybe even as Presbyterians, every once in a while, we could express a little excitement to the truth of God's word and, and we could say Amen, Pastor, I, because I agree with that. And again, I don't want to belabor the point, but I've given you a number of references, whether it's through Moses or the psalmist, where he says, and the people shall say amen. That's, that's not a suggestion. He's not saying if you would like to. He is telling the people that is how you should respond. You should say 
Amen. And then number six, how should we say amen? A couple of answers. Number one, enthusiastically, heartily. That's why I entitled this message, A Hearty Amen. And here's what I would like to advocate in this congregation. That when we say amen, we say it like we mean it. Let's return to Psalm 106, 48, if we, if we could. Remember, blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. And let all the people say, amen, praise, praise the Lord. And, and I reminded you that it, it came at the end of the psalmist talking about how God has worked mightily within his nation and, and among his people. Now picture this. And then he gets to the end of describing just, just how great God has been to his, his people, how faithful he has been, how miraculous he's been. And then he concludes by saying, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, and let all the people say, Amen. Amen. Right? That, that doesn't work, right? I, I didn't know you were going to respond that enthusiastically. Thank you. <laughs> But you see how incongruent it would be? Look at all that God has done. Amen. Like, like you're bored out of your mind, looking at your watch, wondering if you make it in time for the football game. Doesn't it make sense? If God is great, if God is glorious, then when we say amen, we should say it like we mean it. And here's a practice I would like to add to our church. Okay, this is not a mandate from on high. Okay, I'm just saying if you're comfortable, if you really mean it. And, I, and I've seen this in other churches. Uh, when, when somebody prays, like let's say Michael led us in our time of confession this morning, and then we prayed, and then he ended, amen. It would have been wonderful, at least I think it would have been wonderful, If after he said amen, all of the congregation responded with a hearty amen. Amen. And I've seen that in churches where every time the prayer ends in amen, and again, three, four, five times a service, whatever it is, the congregation responds by saying amen. And I think it's, it's glorious. And I do think it's appropriate. I'm I'm sure some of you have been in a prayer meeting or maybe you're just praying one-on-one with a friend. Let's just say the context is a prayer meeting like we have here. We're gathered together in a circle and and, and somebody prays and and they are obviously moved by the Spirit and they're, they're asking God to bring about a revival in this congregation. They're, they're praying that God would speak mightily through the weak pastor. They're praying for the salvation of a loved one. And as they're praying, you're just so in tune with what they're saying. And when they get done, they say, amen. Don't you instinctively want to say, amen, as a sign, I agree with you. Everything that you just said, I affirm that. And it's my way of joining you in prayer. Yes, everything you just said, I want to add my own amen. So I don't think I'm advocating for anything that's artificial here. 
if we really are in attune with the prayer and we agree with it, it should be more than appropriate to add our own amen. I agree with you and, and I'm joining you. So how should we say amen heartily and with uplifted hands? So recently I was asked, why do you raise your hands during the benediction? I said, that, that's a good question. Uh, I've been asked that a number of times. And one of the reasons why we raise our hands during the benediction is, again, because we see the Israelites doing that. And they obviously were taught to raise their hands. For example, in Nehemiah 8.6, we read, And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen, lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Notice, when Ezra blessed the people, we're told that all the people, all the people said, Amen, Amen. How did they know? Obviously, they were instructed to say that. And they said it lifting up their hands. Why did all the people lift up their hands? Because they also must have been instructed that it's appropriate to lift up your hands when you are being blessed by God. So they were, they were taught that. Now, from the outside, it might look staged, and all of a sudden, they're all, they're all raising their hands. But maybe instead of saying it was staged, maybe we could say it was well choreographed, like a, like a dance. You guys need to pray for my wife. She loves to dance, and she married a guy with two left feet. But you know how it is. If you're not a good dancer, you know, you're maybe taught, you know, I don't, I don't know what these classes are. I don't know anything about dancing, but, you, you know, one, two, three, four. I like learn that, like the box step. One, two, three, four, and it, it's really artificial, but after a while, I'm told anyways, after a while, you can stop counting, and it's, and it's just smooth. But you have to begin by being taught. Somebody has to tell you what to do, and then after a while, it just becomes natural, and it, and it flows, and, and that's what I hope takes place in our, in our congregation. And I, and I know if you're, if you're new and you see people raising their hands, you're like, what, what, what are they doing? And I could tell you about other verses. You know, God wants men everywhere to lift up holy hands in, in prayer. And, and there are other places as well. Um, but I, I think it's good. Uh, and it also involves the, the congregation. Um, I, know, I know a number of you are on social media. And maybe you're familiar with, I'm, I'm going to call it the coffee controversy. And uh, I, know, I know Mark Dove is, is aware of this he, because he posted something. And I think John Piper um, is the instigator of this. And he was, and I don't know the whole thing, but talked about the appropriateness of bringing coffee into the sanctuary. And, and if right now you're holding your cup of coffee, you don't have to feel bad. I don't think it's about the coffee per se. I don't, I don't think that's the issue. Here's what I think the issue is. The evangelical church by and large, has become a spectator church where we just sit back and we, uh, we allow the, the worship team or the praise team to entertain us. And then the pastor comes up and, and he does his thing. And we just, we just kind of sit back and take it in. And then after the service, you know, we say, well, how did you like the music this morning? Well, I liked this. I didn't like that. How do you think the pastor did? 
as, as though we're here to entertain you. And that really has infected the church, so, so much so that some churches, instead of having pews or even chairs, they have theater seats. And, and I've joked that I'm surprised they don't have a cup holder for their Coca-Cola on one side and their popcorn on the other, as though they're coming to the show. This, is, this isn't a show. And I was thinking recently about mainline denominations and it, whether it was Catholic, Lutheran, Methodist, Anglican, you could just go right on down the list. The congregation was expected to participate. They would be a part of the call to worship. They would follow a liturgy. They would recite the creeds. And of course, they would sing and partake of communion. And I think it's really important that we as a congregation need to realize that we're, we're called to participate. Think of the, the call to worship. This morning was from Psalm 84. I could have just read it to you. I'm, I'm capable of doing that. But why is it a responsive reading? Because I want all of you as a congregation to participate in the call to worship and not just sit back while the pastor does his thing. And I think it's really important that we pray. I think it was important this morning that we said the Lord's Prayer together and not just have Michael lead us. He could have led us in the Lord's Prayer, but it's important that we pray as well. And I think it's important that we, we come to church and when the pastor says, Christians, you believe in God the Father, that you should participate and say what you believe about God your Father and God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And of course, in the singing, we participate. But even in the benediction, we're participating by lifting up our hands and saying, Amen. And by asking all of you, if you're comfortable, every time you see, or excuse me, every time you hear Amen at the end of a prayer, if you could give a hearty Amen, I think it would be just another way of participating in the service and engaging yourself and your, and your mind. And as we saw, this, this word amen is, is significant and the people are taught that they are indeed to respond to glorious truths and blessings by giving their own amen. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for Second Peter that we've concluded this morning. And as I think of Peter saying that Jesus Christ should receive glory and for all eternity, of course he would say, Amen. Father, I pray for this congregation that every week we come with a desire to participate and not just sit back. We're to pray for one another. We're to sing to one another, confess our sins to one another, encourage one another. Father, may we be fully engaged in worshiping you. Every week we come into your presence before your throne, gathering together with the souls of righteous men made, made perfect. And I pray that every week as we offer our worship to you, 
It's pleasing to you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.